0: Xavier Reese, taking note of the holiness of God.
1: There's a danger, and I think the church has come to that today where we think Jesus is our pal. We don't revere him. If you're not anxious as you come before God to an extent, then something's wrong. We can become so disrespectful today, we just, you know, the man upstairs. God told Moses, Take your shoes off, the place you stand is holy ground. Joshua, the prophets, fell to their face to the ground. Should we do any less?
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Well, that old hymn may be a favorite to sing, but why are so many Christians lost in the unhappiness of the world? Pastor Xavier explores this issue with today's Simple Truth study from his continuing series in the book of Hebrews. Let's listen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 29.
1: And the message is entitled, The Plight in Rejecting Jesus. Somehow, when we're, we were walking with Christ, whether we were just good moral pagans or religious people or total atheists, we just said, well, I hope it'll work out. And then it's like, if that, that, that seals it, it's all going to work out. <laughs> While taking a hopeless risk. Going against the Word of God. And so is everyone who dismisses the warnings in the Scriptures about trusting anything or any other person for their salvation apart from Jesus Christ. The believer's hope is certain. I know so. It's not the world's hope. I hope so. They often accuse the Christian of leaping into the darkness. But our faith is defined as stepping into the light. <laughs> it's the non-believer who leaps into the darkness, jumps off a cliff and says, well, I hope I land on a bush, not a rock. The author to the book of Hebrews has made a transition from the life of faith in chapter 11 to the life of hope in chapter 12. We might look at the first section of this chapter from verse 1 through 13 of chapter 12 as a process of hope. In verse 1 through 3, we've seen the source of the believer's hope as we look to the race. In verses 4 through 11, the hope of the believer is one of sonship. And then verse 12 and 13, uh, the strength of the believer that comes from hope. That's the process. And then the second section from verse 14 to 29, uh, it's the product of hope. In verse 14 through 17, the pursuit of the believer in hope 18 to 24, the proper perspective of the believer's hope. And then verse 25 to 29, the plight of the believer in rejecting that hope that was offered. And so what we want to do is focus on the possible plight of the believer here in rejecting Jesus. The sure and only hope for sinful man. Verse 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of all those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made... That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The possible plight of the believer in rejecting Jesus Christ as the sure and only hope is evident by three things. Verse 25, the stern warning. Verse 26 and 27, the solemn promise. In verse 28 and 9, the sensible wisdom. Notice the progression. You want to make sure you end up in sensible wisdom. That's where you want to end up. This is the final passionate warning to warn these Hebrew Christians from going back to the law and animal sacrifices. He moves on to the solemn promise, having given the warning. Verse 26 and 27. The revelation of God at Sinai was based on the voice of God, as we've seen here, whose voice then shook the earth. As Yahweh's voice then shook the earth at the giving of the law in the past and commanded obedience of the law, so the foundation was the Old Testament. The revelation of God now is based on the voice of the Son, the one who's speaking from heaven, warning about what? His second coming. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. The comparison is between the shaking of Sinai and the shaking at the return of Jesus to set up the kingdom where all the nations will worship him in the millennial temple. He's quoting the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. Notice the comparisons between the localized shaking at Sinai in the past to all the earth and heaven that will be shaken as a universal event in the future. And so in the great tribulation and at his coming... As he fights the battle of Armageddon to set up the kingdom, the earth will be shaken in many ways. We read some of the earthquakes there and some of the horrible things that will happen. Uh, some of those earthquakes, not a was found and mountains were moved completely. Uh, I think those are about 20 on the Rector scale. <laughs> Notice that all that is in submission to Jesus will remain. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Only what is in Christ will stand at His coming. We, the church, will be raptured. Those who remain through the tribulation, great tribulation, they will have an incredible opportunity to be saved. There will be a great revival, but not all will accept Christ. Those who do, when Christ returns, they will remain. But those who do not, Those who reject, those who take the mark of the beast, they will be removed. At his second coming, Jesus will remove all that can be shaken. He will shake the earth and heavens during the great tribulation, Revelation 6 through 18. Horrible time. If you don't know Jesus, and if you're trusting the world to get better, you better get a rabbit's foot, a horseshoe, cross your legs, and... Fingers and it still won't work. It's not going to get better. And I don't say that jokingly, I say that tragically. He will destroy the armies at the Battle of Armageddon who are there to stop him from setting up his kingdom in Revelation 19. He will judge the nations as to their conduct regarding Israel during the seven year tribulation in Matthew 25 separating the sheep from the goats. He will then set up the kingdom age that Israel will receive all the promises and fulfillment that they had in the Old Testament in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 5. And he will rule and reign upon the earth, and we will rule and reign with him as the church, Revelation 20, verse 6. He will then cast Satan in the lake of fire at the end of the thousand-year reign And hold the white throne judgment, and all who appear in that are non believers who have rejected Christ, and they will also be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 7 through 15. And then he will set up the eternal state the beginning of the new heaven, the new earth, with the eternal city of God, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 and 22. Mark these things. This is the solemn promise. It will happen. If that is true, he doesn't leave them there. He moves into the sensible wisdom in verse 28 and 29. The sensible wisdom is based on three things. First, Based on the nature of the kingdom. Look at verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom. The present tense of the participle emphasizes that Christians. Listen well. Are now only in process of receiving this gift. And that this process will continue into the future. Look at. Which cannot be shaken. Take very careful note that it is the kingdom that cannot be shaken, not the one who receives the unshakable kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. These Hebrews were being shaken. The kingdom cannot be shaken. And if you're being shaken, trying to go back to the law or anything else, why would you want to let go of an unshakable kingdom? It's the kingdom that's unshakable not the one who has embraced the kingdom. These Hebrews were being shaken. So first of all, it's based on the nature of the kingdom, this sensible wisdom. But secondly, it's based on the nature of personal responsibility and accountability. They had received Christ. Listen, let us have grace. The word have means keep on holding on and drawing from God's grace, indicating their privilege and responsibility. Notice the result being to fulfill the purpose we were created for, by which we may serve God acceptable with reverence and godly fear. The act of serving is one of the highest forms of worship to God. Serving. Many Christians think it's optional, that it's not important, No, it's one of the highest forms of worship. First is obedience. Second is service. The word serve means to serve God as a priest and sacred and acceptable worship. We don't serve God the way we want to. I think that there's a danger, and I think the church has come to that today, where we think Jesus is our pal, and we've made him so common that we don't revere him. The other extreme is to be so legalistic that you're almost back in law and you're so distant from God and that's not where we should be. But this reverence is with godly fear describing discreet and reasonable anxiousness and veneration. If you're not anxious as you come before God to an extent a little bit then something's wrong. I can just pop into the throne of grace Lord and I know he's there but I come reverently. I come knowing who it is that I'm coming before. We can become so disrespectful today, we just, you know, the man upstairs. You know, J.C., he's my friend. God told Moses, take your shoes off. The place you stand is holy ground. Joshua and the prophets fell to their face to the ground. Should we do any less? So this... Sensible wisdom is based on the nature of personal responsibility and accountability also. But thirdly, it's based on the nature of God. The nature of God. Look at verse 29. The reason for this culminating exhortation is a simple one. Don't make it difficult. This is not brain surgery. Listen. Because our God is the consuming fire. The quote is from Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verse 24, indicating that God would judge the sins of the Israelites. It was the giving of the law to the second generation that was going to possess the land. Remember the first generation said, no, 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 we're not going to the land. There's giants, there's wall cities, we can't go there. Moses. So God says, okay, you guys don't want to go in? Fine. I'm going to lead you through a 40-year death march, and you're not going to enter in. And the fear of your children, you think they're going to die, they're the ones that are going to possess it. This is the second generation, not listening to a second giving of the law, different law, the same law given a second time, to warn them they not be like their parents. they reminder of their past redemption, the holiness of God, Mount Sinai, the privilege that they had as a nation of God, warning them not to corrupt themselves with those of the land, for God would judge them as a consuming fire. That's the context. In that chapter, the key verse is this. Listen to it. It's verse 6 of Deuteronomy 4. Listen to it. Therefore, be careful to observe them, all that he's saying, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statements and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. (laughs) It's wisdom to obey is wisdom to believe what God says. The element of fire, as you know, is used often in Scripture symbolically to portray God's holiness, such as the burning bush. Holy place, Exodus 3.2. The element of fire being the symbol of God's purity, who is the epitome of holiness, indicates that he cannot tolerate or be in the presence of sin. Fire does one of two things, as you know. It either consumes or purifies. It all depends on the type of material that's subjected to the fire. If it's wood, hay, stubble, it's consumed. Crispy critter. Gone. If it's silver, gold, or precious stone, it's turned into an object of permanency through purification. The fire has not changed. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. God will either consume man's sins by repentance through Jesus Christ or consume man in his sins by the lack of repentance through Jesus Christ. It's real simple. Three times these Hebrew Christians have been told not to harden their hearts. Today, if you will hear Hebrews 3.8, 3.15, Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear, what is it being talking about? The voice of Him who speaks from heaven. If you reflect back on our study of Hebrews, the majority of the quotes in the earlier chapters are all from judgment passages of God bringing judgment. Why? Because the whole context and theme of this book is you're under danger of judgment if you choose to leave Christ Jesus. Don't use the term lose salvation. Use biblical terms. Depart. Walk away. deceive, Self-will. It's a choice. You will not be forced to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. You get to choose. Buses are leaving to both places every day. To choice. It has been said knowledge can be memorized. Wisdom must think things through. Wisdom is something that enables us to use knowledge rightly. Wisdom resists group pressure, thinks for itself, and is reconciled to the use of its own judgment. Based on the knowledgeable evidence, Of the Lord's first coming. And the incredible odds of the fulfillment of those prophecies. What kind of wisdom would it be to reject the belief of the second coming of Jesus to judge the world? It stands against all sensible, rational wisdom. It's the wisdom of fools. The kingdom of God, as you know, is timeless in nature. Exodus fifteen eight says the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Psalm 45, 6. The kingdom of God is universal also. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. First Chronicles twenty nine eleven. For the Lord is great God, and the great King above all gods, Psalm 95, 3. The kingdom of God was represented in the first advent of Jesus in the very same way the Old Testament, as Jesus announced the kingdom of God to the Jews who were waiting for it, the present age. The age to come. So much so that you know that Jesus used this term over and over again. The word kingdom uh, refers to the royal power, the kingship, and it appears 162 times in the New Testament. Matthew is one of the ones who uses the word more than anyone else 54 times, and it's no surprise because Jesus is portrayed by Matthew as king of the Jews. And if then a king, he must have a kingdom. Pilate and Jesus had that little conversation. <laughs> The Jews understood the term, the kingdom of God. They were anticipating the kingdom. They were so caught up in the restoration of all that was promised to them that they had no room for a suffering Messiah. So they rejected Jesus. They were looking for a conquering king. The disciples were also in this mindset so much so that in Mark 10, 35 through 45, James and John came to Jesus asking the right hand and the left hand when they got to Jerusalem because they thought he was going to establish the kingdom. And they wanted to reign in his glory. For 40 days, Jesus spoke about things about the kingdom in Acts chapter 1. And they still asked him there, will you now restore the kingdom this time? He says, just go away. Go tarry in Jerusalem. This is the church age. I want to pick a bride out. Don't be such a hurry. A lot of people to be saved. (laughs) Due to the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, the kingdom of God was present, but yet to come in its ultimate form. John the Baptist began his ministry by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand in Matthew 3.2. When John was thrown in prison, Jesus began his ministry, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew four seventeen. Jesus said many things about the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near you, Luke 10, 9. The kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21. Jesus answered and said, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, the Nicodemus, John 3, Three. Jesus told the Pharisees, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you, Matthew 12, 28. The confirmation of Jesus to John that he was the Messiah was the accompaniment of the miracles, the preaching of the gospel, which announced the arrival of of the kingdom Matthew eleven three 3 through 6 the kingdom is here what prayer that the Lord teaches disciples our father who art in heaven holy be your name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we're waiting for the kingdom to come we're going to reign with Christ in the kingdom this is the sensible wisdom in view of all that you know and I know What would move us to seek after foolish wisdom and depart from Christ, to try to secure our safety through something else, through some other means? The plight is real if believers reject Jesus. He's the only sure hope. And it is marked by these three very simple things, the stern warning. The solemn promise and the sensible wisdom. I pray that you end up in the sensible wisdom, not in foolish wisdom. For the plight is a real one if you reject
0: Jesus Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese and the reality and simple truths of declining the Savior. The Plight in Rejecting Jesus is the title of the current lesson, and it's also available on CD for only $4. We'd be happy to send you a copy, which will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Plight in Rejecting Jesus. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107 Or to make a request by phone call 800-926-1485 Again that's 800-926-1485 Or the address once again is Simple Truths 2200 East Colorado Boulevard Pasadena California 91107 And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station in your correspondence This helps us check the impact of this outreach in your area. The network sitcoms have made marriage the center of many jokes. But Pastor Xavier Reese puts the sanctity back into marriage on the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope you'll tune in.